the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, what is the biblical theology of rest and vacation? We're going to talk about that. And then we're joined by Dr. Heather Thompson Day. She's the author of a new book called It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. You're listening to The Coming Good. Hey, friends, it's Friday. Yeah, we Woo-hoo! made it to the end of the week. It's we Friday. So glad to have you with us here on this Friday. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Aubrey Sampson. We are excited to be together today. I want to talk about both the importance of, I think it highlights the importance of rest, recharge, kind of biblically, but also the importance of learning and knowledge and kind of pushing ourselves. So I'm going to let you choose one of those two and kind of speak pastorally to why it's important for us. Oh, okay. Well, since I'm going to grad school, I guess I'll talk about growing in knowledge. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Uh, I I feel like just because I'm in grad school, I'm not totally equipped to talk about that. But I, you know, let me, let me speak personally and kind of just anecdotally about my experience and why I think this actually matters. Okay. Um, Grad school uh, has been hard. It's been long, but I decided to go back specifically because I am a woman in some form of public ministry. And especially if I'm preaching or teaching, I just want to make sure that I um, am saying things that are theologically right, orthodox, Mm -hmm. astute, etc. Part of that is simply because I'm a woman. It's hard enough to be in a role like this as a woman because there's so many differing opinions about should you or shouldn't you. Um, So many different perspectives on that. And so, you know, some of it I did because like, I want to have the backing to be able to say I know what I'm talking about. And then the other part of it is it just has shaped me spiritually and personally to learn more about God's goodness and learn in community with other thinkers. And it's really stretched my faith and my mind and my soul in a lot of ways. And I don't think everyone needs to go to grad school, certainly to do that. But I do think there's something wonderful that God is um, such a I mean, a magnificent, multifaceted, like massive God that we serve. And so when we learn more about the things of God, when we learn about I'm studying evangelism and leadership, but just anything really that is about God or from God or related to God, it really expands our worship because we begin to understand like how massive God is and all of the amazing thing that things that God does and and some of the minds of people that uh, we're studying like you see like wow God has made people so brilliant and so God is so good and I, I think for all Christians again you don't have to go to grad school but learning reading expanding your mental capacity is one way to also increase your worship 
Oh, it's good. I, and I don't think, like you said, it requires going to grad school necessarily. But so often when we get older, we can kind of shut our minds off a little mm-hmm. bit, right? And that's so what true. you know what it leads to. It leads to all of those conversations we have about echo chambers and not being able to think critically about stuff or to think things, not knowing where to go to get different points of view. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even if it's online, even if it's I'm going to read scholarly stuff, even if it's whatever it is, like you're never you're never beyond the need for uh, for growth and knowledge and just kind of growing in your under. Understanding, you never. Here, let's put it this way: you never get to the point where you go, "Hey, you know what? I got God figured out. I'm good. I got it. <laughs> I, I got this it all, all done. Yep, I yep. did it all." So I'm glad that you're going to grad school. Like as I said, though, I'm also a big proponent of vacation and yes. rest and unplugging. Uh, and there's a couple different reasons. One, I just love my family and I love getting away and doing that sort of stuff. But two. Aubrey, I do think it's biblical that we, that we are meant to unplug. Like we have to unplug uh, and get recharged. It's the same way, you know, we talk about Sabbath. We talk about God resting on the seventh day. Uh, we talk about Jesus getting away to pray and to be away from people. So often in our society, we could just value running, running, running. And if I don't keep running, then someone's going to get ahead of me and, and we're, I'm so important to stop. And then you end up burning out. Like I think... Uh, something our culture doesn't do well is vacation and unplug and unwind and disconnect, especially with our phones and with our computers yeah, and everything. Yeah. And I really think it's beyond just a health issue. I think it's a biblical issue. It's mm-hmm. a, uh, it's an identity issue. And I think we all, if you're a bad, if you're a person who can't vacation, I'd encourage you to ask yourself why, uh, mm-hmm. or who can't unplug it during your week or whatever else. And so, uh, what do you think about vacation and unplugging? Uh, is it something that comes easy for you? And what's the value of it for you? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I love vacation, right? Part of it is <laughs> you're on vacation, you're not working. But I do think, you know, we've talked about the value of Sabbath. Like we see that God, God rested and God calls us to rest. There's actually a, the Gospel Coalition just a couple of days ago published an article called A Biblical Theology of Pleasure by Tim Shorey. And, uh, it, you know, this isn't necessarily about vacation, but he talks about how, listen, God could have made food that was really good for you. But it all could have tasted like sawdust, right? Mm. But instead, God gave us like nutritious food that's delicious, that makes our mouths water because God is so good. That's right. And we experience, when we experience pleasure, like on vacation, um, like in grad school, like through good food, we, um, are bearing witness to the fact that God is good. And so I, I think that's part of it is to find moments of pleasure when we're weary, to find moments of rest in the middle of all of the, you know, nonstop hustle. All of that just reminds our souls, look, God is good. God's burden is light. We don't have to carry all of this stuff all the time. And it, I think also reminds us that um, God is God and we are not God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's such an important point. It's the whole, uh, are we, um, you know, human beings or human doings, as we talked about earlier in the week. And so I just wanted to start there because, A, it explains where you and I are going to be for Mm -hmm. the next week or so. Still listen, uh, hear all the good interviews and uh, the best of, uh, and then we'll come back, hopefully recharge. You'll come back smarter. I'll come back recharged. Like that's kind of the plan That's a good combo for the two of us. Yeah, but first we got a show to do today. We're glad that you're joining us on this Friday. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Dr. Heather Thompson Day, Associate Professor of Communication at Colorado Christian University. She also runs an online community called I'm That Wife. And we're going to talk to her about her new book called It's Not 
Uh, it's not your turn. What to do while you're waiting for your breakthrough? Heather Thompson Day is going to join us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by Associate Professor of Communication at Colorado Christian University, that being Dr. Heather Thompson Day. Heather, how are you doing today? What an honor. I'm doing so well. Well, the honor is all ours. We're so glad to have you with us. We're going to talk to Heather specifically about her new book called It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. Such an important book. But Heather, before we jump into the book, why don't you just introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, so my name is Heather Thompson Day. I am a communication professor at Colorado Christian University. I'm an author and blogger with I'm That Wife. Oh, Heather, um, your book looks fantastic. Again, the title is It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. I would love to hear a little bit about your personal story, Heather. When did you realize it wasn't your turn? Do you have a story in life about it not being your turn? Yeah, so I was trying to get hired full-time in academia. I was in the middle of my PhD program. I had never taken a summer off. Mm. From 2005, when I graduated high school, till I think I finished my PhD in like 2018, something like that. I never even took a summer off, and I could not get hired to save my life. Mm. I'm standing in front of students, pretending to have it all together. I'm lecturing, right? I look super successful, but in reality, I am so poor. My sister is dry, uh, dropping diapers off on my mm. doorstep and pretending it wasn't her. Wow. And so there's so much shame that I'm experiencing mm. and asking God, what is going on? I thought I did all the right things. Where's my testimony? And I get a call from one of my best friends since third grade who did not keep the same trajectory as me educationally. <laughs> and she called me and she said, Heather, you're not going to believe it. And I was like, what? And she's like, I just got hired by NASA. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? yeah, just like that. Wow. Um, that is great. And I choked on it. And, mm. and the truth is, I was happy for her. I was just incredibly sad for myself. Yeah. And so that was kind of That's the first real. time that I realized, Heather, it's not your turn. Mm. Yeah. But it's her. And so clap and show up for her mm. because it's her turn. And so the, the entire premise of the book is just that. Who we are when it's not our turn is actually more important than who we will be when it is. Wow. So show up. It is always our turn to show up for other people. That's so powerful. So good. uh, I guess a two-part question. Uh, This might seem obvious, but what makes that so hard? Why is that so hard for us to do? And then on top of that, talk to us about the layer of social media and this environment (laughs) we live in and what makes that even harder now. Yeah. What makes it so hard is it can feel like, I mean, I think it's the same feeling that we literally feel as a kid when you see somebody else having a birthday party or on the merry-go-round and you want to jump on and they hold you back and say, it's not your turn. Mm. It is very difficult to show up to somebody else's party. Yeah. (laughs) That brings up all these feelings of my own loneliness, right? Or my feelings of my own feeling looked over. Um, So I think that's what makes it hard is to celebrate. It's hard to sell. It's really easy to celebrate when life is going really well. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, that doesn't take character and that doesn't take integrity. Yeah. Anybody can clap for other people when they have thousands of people applauding themselves. I think it takes a lot of character and integrity to show up when nobody's showing up for you. 
I think with that in mind, Heather, because you're right, it does take a lot of character and integrity. It's not our first instinct. How do we build that muscle? Like, how do we start clapping for people when we kind of don't want to? Yeah, for me, it was literally just saying to myself, Heather, it's not your turn. And I think when I said that, what it did was give my brain this, like, it's not your turn yet. Mm. Right? It didn't mean it was never going to be my turn. Yeah. It meant it's not my turn right now. And right now it's theirs. And so show up for them. And I think what has helped me continue to be in that space is just trying to live a life of, I say this all the time, integrity over everything. Right. At the end of the day, I want to live a life integrity that I can be proud of no matter what cards I was dealt. How did I show up to this situation? Heather, how does this affect one's prayer life? Like, uh, did this cause you like uh, when you were in a season of going, hey, you know, God, where's my breakthrough? Where's does it cause you to, to not pray or kind of focus on it? How does this affect our prayer life as we kind of wrestle with where's God and God's timing on things? Yeah, I was engaging in worry and calling it worship. Oh, wow. I was showing up on my knees and repeating to God over and over and over again all the things he was missing. And I also, you had asked earlier about social media, I think I also was like accusing God of not policing everybody else better. (laughs) I just felt like, hey, like you can tell that this person is like using this thing or their heart's not in the right place and yet you're still blessing them. Like, what about me? And I was accusing him of all these things and it was just a really unhealthy, toxic place to live your life. Like how much abundance and glory and joy is going to come out of that space Mm. realistically? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I just had to start I had this conversation on Friday with Annie F. Downs and, and she just said something really powerful because there's something she's been praying over for a long time um, that we haven't seen bud yet. And she just said, you know what? I've come to a place where I've said to God, if the gospel goes further in my life without this thing, then don't give it to me. Mm, but if wow. the gospel is going to go further in my life by you giving me this testimony, then please give it to me. And so I think we just have to, as Christians, surrender ourselves to the cross Right. And say, hey, if there is the goal me to have like this happy, perfect, idealistic existence, or is it for the gospel to go as far as it possibly can? And for the Christian, it should always be the gospel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Heather, so I'm just thinking of the listener right now who may be feeling like it's not my turn. When is my turn going to come? I'm feeling those things you've mentioned. I'm feeling frustrated with God. I'm feeling like, why is God sort of you know, awarding or anointing this person, but not me. Like what's just a word of encouragement for that listener right now. Who's in the middle of it. So there's this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. That is so powerful. And I started repeating it to myself all the time. Um, And it was actually one of his last speeches that he gave, but he was talking to a graduating high school class. And he says, if you are a street sweeper, the goal is to sweep your street with so much joy and so much intentionality and so much purpose that all of heaven has to stop mm. and marvel and say, my God, look at this street sweeper. Mm. And so I think it's always our turn to show up to what we do have. And for me, that looked like showing up to my classroom with my six students after lunch whose heads are on their desk and they act like they don't want to be there. <laughs> it was showing up to that situation And saying, you know what, God, like, this is what you've anointed me for. And if this is the greatest thing I'm ever going to do in my life is to sweep this classroom, 
let me sweep it so all of heaven stops and says, oh, my God, look at how they teach that class. That's good. Mm. Right? And, if, and here's what I found. When we show up to life in that way, it creates joy that you didn't know was there. That's right. That's right. Heather Thompson Day, again, is the Associate Professor of Communication at Colorado Christian University. She runs the online community called I'm That Wife. And also, we've been talking to her about her new book called It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. Uh, Before we jump back into your book, when we have guests on, I'd love to just go kind of peruse their social media, which is always a dangerous thing, I know. (laughs) Uh, But I thought you tweeted something just today uh, that was so important Uh, So I want to read it to you and just ask if you could just expound on it. And you wrote this. You said, I think we greatly underestimate the love of God, not just for others, but also toward ourselves. Could you just kind of unpack that? Because I think that is such an important word right there. Yeah, I just think, and I work with young people. I can't even tell you. I actually, I can tell you because I wrote them down this time. I did 80 lunches or coffees with students throughout this last academic year. Wow. Wow. Um, so I'm with young people all the time who have a lot of questions about church and religion and their place within it. And something that I've found is just, I just think it's rare that people are, it's very easy for church people like myself to say, oh, well, they're just not aspiring to holiness. Mm. And so they're rejecting it because they just, they just don't actually want to pursue holiness or whatever. But when I'm working with young people, that's not what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is, is people who really struggle to believe that God can, that a good God can be good towards that, hmm. right? And they know all the secrets and the shame. Shame is one heck yeah. of a drug yeah. that can separate us from God. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, we have to be gentler with the people around us and with ourselves. Uh, that's that's such an encouraging word I feel like for right now especially some of the things that we're seeing on social media the way people are treating each other and I know this isn't necessarily the point of your book Heather so we'll come back to that but I I do want to ask you you know maybe give a word to people who tend to vent their stuff on social media and tend not to treat the other well what would you say like what should you do instead (laughs) <laughs> just don't do it? I mean, that seems like an easy <laughs> <Right>. answer. but <laughs> So here's the way I see my own social media, and I tell my students this. If you would not be comfortable with somebody posting that into your office break room, probably don't post it online. <laughs> right? Whatever it is you're about to say, if you would be uncomfortable with your coworker pulling you aside and saying, oh, I, you know, responding to that thought, maybe you shouldn't be posting it online mm. for everybody to see. And that's how I've tried to approach my own social media use. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier. You used the phrase kind of pursuing holiness or, or going after holiness. Can you help people understand uh, just even what you mean by that? Because a lot of times we are just pursuing our happiness, right? But there's kind of a difference. So help us know the difference between happiness and holiness and why that's such an important distinction. Yeah. So I actually just watched out here. Ed Setzer came to Cherry Hills out here in Denver and he did a sermon and he talked about how the word happiness actually comes from the word happenstance, which I did mm. not know. Huh. So he was saying our happiness is always temporary because it's about your happenstance and whatever circumstance you find yourself in. But the, for the Christian, the pursuit should always be joy. Yeah. Right. Which can transcend circumstances. Um, I think pursuing holiness is what I talked about earlier when I say integrity over everything. Okay. Right. Like, if, 
literally, if I was to stand before God right now, and whatever thoughts are in my mind, and however I'm treating people, how would I want to stand before Him? Mm. And I think that's what it means to try to pursue holiness and integrity. And that's not to say, literally, a couple weeks ago, and I tweeted it as it happened, one of my friends had a New York Times bestselling book, and again, I felt those pangs of like, oh man, I wish that was me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'm like, I don't graduate from that feeling. Mm. Right? Like, I'm always going to be a human. And I really just realized it's okay for me to be human. I just have to stay next to my Savior. And so let me say out loud, God, I'm feeling really jealous right now. Yeah. Or I'm feeling really embarrassed right now. Or I'm feeling really bitter. And here's the beauty, like, one of my favorite texts in scripture is where Naomi comes back, right? And they say, hey, look, Naomi's here, the mother of Ruth. She shows up, the mother-in-law, and they say, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, mm. for I am bitter. I left here full. And she actually accuses God and says, and God brought me back empty. And one of my favorite things in all of scripture is that God answers a bitter woman mm. prayer. Wow. Right? Yeah. My mom used to say to me as a kid, fix your face. And that meant <laughs> if you're going out in public, you fix your face. Yeah. And with God, I don't have to do that. Oh, I love that. Right? Like, I can show up bitter. I can show up broken. And I can show up broke and angry. But with God, the goal is just to keep showing up and mm. to stay in a relationship. He saves us. We don't save ourselves. Oh, mm. Heather, it's so good. I, I feel like I needed to hear that today. Thank you for that Me word. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, the title of your book is It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. Heather, what are some things you hope readers will take away from the book? Oh, man, I the, the number one thing I want people to take away is hope. Mm. I have, and some people have accused me like, oh, here we go, prosperity gospel. It's not going to be everyone's turn. <laughs> yeah, I get that, right? And I think we all know that. But what's on me, and again, this comes to integrity, what's on me is to live my life with hope here and with purpose and to show up. Mm. And hope allows us to show up to things. Yeah. And if at the end of the day I go to heaven and all the things that I wanted don't happen here, that's on God, right? Like, and I can talk to him about that and say, hey, what about this? I think you missed something here. <laughs> but that's on him. Yeah. I have to live my life with integrity while I'm here. And so I think hope allows us to step into those spaces and be happy for other people when we feel hopeful for ourselves. I tried to live without hope, and it was a really... It did not go well for me. <laughs> somebody, truly, right? Like yeah. it made me into somebody I don't even want to be. Yeah. And I was angry. Yeah. And I feel like hope to that not yet. Mm. Right. It's not your turn yet is a very hopeful place for me to stay. That's mm. right. That's right. Oh, Heather, this is such good stuff. Hey, before we let you go, uh, I'd love to hear about your online community called I'm That Wife. People can find you at I'm That dot com. Uh, tell me more about that. What is that community? Yeah, so I actually started that with my best friend because at the time we were both stay-at-home moms and mm -hmm. we felt totally isolated and disconnected and like it wasn't our turn. Um, and so we just, I, I, hey, talk about like stewarding with what you have. We just had this idea of what if we just start writing things down for other people and like other women who maybe feel disconnected in, in this space that we're in. And so we did in about, I think, Four years later, it's been, we've had it four years, and we're at, like, over 200,000 followers on our Facebook community there, over 50,000 people awesome. on Instagram. And that, again, just came from showing up. For, and I, in the beginning, there was probably five women who read it. <laughs> and it was, like, just being faithful to those five people. And then throughout four years, it didn't happen instantly. But four years later, I can look back and say, oh, my gosh, like, what a moment 
God has really displayed himself in my life. I will say that blog is not Christian. Mm. Um, my best friend is Jewish, but I remain a Christian in everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. Again, a couple different places you can find Heather. You can find her at imthatwife.com. Also at heatherthompsonday.com. You can find her on Twitter at Heather T. Day. And let me just encourage you all, go get the book we've been talking about. It's not your turn. What to do while you're waiting for your breakthrough. It's such an important, it's not just Heather's story. It's all of our story as we wait and try to figure things out. So we'd encourage you. Heather, it is so great to meet you. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. It is Friday, Aubrey, which means the weekend. The weekend! But it also, for those of you who are fans of our show, it means our favorite time. What's it mean? Top 5 list! Uh, Top 5 list. If you've missed any of our Top 5 lists, go back and find them on our podcast. You can generally find them on Fridays. We've done everything from Top 5 candies to uh, uh, you know 90s, late 80s. Um, TV shows, mm-hmm. favorite moms, favorite dads, mm-hmm. all of them. And so you could go find them there. As I like to say, you could just go there to see how ridiculous Aubrey's are because, well, they tend to be pretty out there. Ridiculously amazing. Is <laughs> so that is the part that we have reached today. Before I tell you what our top five list is today, we've got to hear the awesome jingle. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right. Today we are going to go with uh, top five pet peeves. Top five pet peeves. How would you define a pet peeve, so Brian? That, that's a valuable question because I think uh, we're not just doing things that annoy us. Well, yeah, this it's what do other people do that, that just kind of get under your skin, yes. right? So we were reading some lists. It's not like, oh, a pet peeve of mine is climate change. Like that doesn't. <laughs> right. No, that doesn't count. No, that does not count. And yeah. I told you in advance, my number one, if this were like a poll for me, Number one would win by so much okay. it would not even be funny. Okay. Because, okay. So, so it that number one is like for sure your biggest pet when, peeve. When you suggested we do top five pet yeah. peeves, I would. I know my number one. Like I'm in. Okay. Uh, the rest uh, are 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 pretty well bunched together. I would like you to go first with your number five. Okay. My number five is uh, anyone who talks during movie previews. I go to movies to watch the previews. And I get very annoyed when people I'm with are like, psh, 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 psh. like, no, this, sh, k- this is time to watch and pay attention. <laughs> okay. That's my number five. What's I, your number I'm five? I'm good with that one. Uh, number five, and I used to be guilty of this when I was uh, like high school, college, but I've such, I've now gone 180 degrees on this. We're going to probably insult some people that we yeah, know right here. Uh, number five from your people who are late. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. No time to say hello. Goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. Oh, I used to be very late regularly, and now it drives me up a wall. Really? If we're going to be late, it, it drives me up a wall. But if, if I'm supposed to meet you yeah. or do something with you and you're late, like I want to be I've like, been late a couple of times to have meetings with you, Brian. But you've I always texted. Like, yeah. It happens. Yeah. Stuff yeah. happens. But, but like I perpetually mean, like, late. Yeah. Hey, I showed up 15 minutes late, and you're like, yeah, what yeah. the heck? All right, number four. All right, number four for me is People who give you directions when you just want an address. Come on, man. You know what I mean? So like you're asking for an address because you're going to type it in your phone. But people are like, but then you go down 
to that stop sign and you turn left and I'm like, I'm not listening. I have a phone. It's going to tell me. Don't. I just want the address. That is so specific and yeah. so good. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that one. All right. My number four. Uh, people who talk loudly on their phone in public. Oh, that's a good one. Like you're sitting in a coffee shop, you're at a Starbucks, and someone thinks they can just have a nice long conversation really loudly right by (laughs) you on their phone, and you're going, Hello, this is a public place. We're all right here. Why would you want me to hear what you're talking about? Yeah, But So that's you don't like people talking during uh, movie previews, which I totally get. That's a good one. Yeah, Uh, I don't like people who talk loudly on their phone in public places. Especially if you ever see people like that on a speakerphone. Oh, you're it's like, so annoying. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Even okay. when they're on their AirPods and I yes. think they think you can't hear them or something because you can't hear the other person, but we can hear you. Yep. It's coming out of your mouth. We yes. can hear you. So, yes. okay. It's a good one. Oh, we're off to a good start here. All right. I'm, I'm agreeing uh, with all of these. My number three is, I, I would say this guy specifically, but I think this is probably anyone who brings their guitar like around with them. I gave my love a story that had no end I give <laughs> You know what I mean? Like oh, This is your best top five <laughs> list ever right now. Like, they, you know, they show up at a party or they show up at an office event or whatever and they just have their guitar. That you know drives me crazy. Like yes, I, there's one person in particular who I used to work with who would strum his guitar in the office and I'd be like, dude, we're trying to work. Like, Great that you're like a guitarist, but like no one cares right now. (laughs) You might be winning this one. This is good. Yes. Okay, let's hear yours. Number three. Okay, number three. uh, I drives me up a wall. Not just people who drive slowly, but people who drive slowly in the left lane. (laughs) Oh yeah, that is so annoying. There are multiple lanes for a reason, and if you're if you are welcome to drive slow, yeah, in that right lane. But get in the right lane. Get in that right lane. Get in the right lane. The people who drive slowly in the left lane, like it, it makes me really angry. As an aside, (laughs) let me tell you something. I gave you the last week, I believe, a. uh, a jerk or justified maybe about the honking at the, of the horn oh, yeah, at somebody at the, at the light the if they're looking. Light. Uh-huh. And I went off on people who do that. Yeah. I got honked at this weekend. No. Yeah. Poetic uh, justice. I, I felt guilty. <laughs> I felt guilty. All right. All right. Number two. Number two. My number two is any sort of design on a man's jean back pocket. Everybody's talking about my type pants. I got my type pants. I got my tight pants on. I don't like bejeweled back pockets. I don't like little check marks. No stitching, no design on a man's jean back pocket. Drives me crazy. So good and so specific. (laughs) I I will now go look at all. I think I'm good with my jeans. I'm good. I'm good. Good. All right. Number that actually sounds like a conversation you and Kevin have probably had behind we've, closed doors we've about the jeans. Had that. Yeah, about je- I tell him all the time, look at that guy. He's got those jeans on. I can't do it. He's I can't like, take it. By that guy, you mean Kevin? No. <laughs> no. All right. All right. What's your number two? People who use the word literally. So the mayor asked me to step in as city manager, and I, of course, accepted immediately because Pawnee is literally the greatest town in the country. <laughs> Because I use that all the well, time. Well, but nine times out of ten, it doesn't it's not actually mean literally. They'll be like, they mean it figuratively. I've literally <laughs> never been so tired. You probably have. You have I've been tired. Literally, never been hungrier than I am right now. That is, and you're just like, 
I actually read that they've changed the meaning of the word <gasps> literally for how much we do this culturally. Oh, that's fascinating. Yes. I love when culture changes language. I think that's so interesting. But I always want to, it's literally the coolest thing ever. I always <laughs> want to ask people like, that's not li- you don't mean literally, but then I, then I become that guy. Right, you can't be. That's you're also that pet guy. peeve, right? People yeah, who are that guy. the worst person ever. All right. <laughs> A uh, couple honorable mentions. Okay. Why don't you give me some I, of yours? I have a few honorable mentions. Uh, this is close to the talking during previous. It's people who text in movies. Just that phone light makes me crazy, you know. And then I've uh, done that. And then I would say something you just said. I don't like when people correct your grammar when <laughs> when you're talking. I, you know, I'm a writer, Do you mean so your. <laughs> <laughs> I am a writer, so I get my grammar corrected. I have my grammar corrected often by editors. I don't want it in real life. I speak good. Yes, those are good. <laughs> Do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, I did. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna own this one and say that I'm guilty of this one on occasion. But people who check their phones while you're in a conversation with oh, them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm guilty of that. Here's too. a really random one. I saw this one online. Uh, people when your plane lands and they clap. <laughs> like, like I just want to be like. Did the pilot, were you not expecting this ending? Did you think you'd die? This is not it. And one of the big fights in my house, uh, because my son and I do this often, but my wife, one of her biggest pet peeves, people who crack their knuckles. Oh, interesting. And I do it, and now my son does it. Oh, no. It's become generational habit. All right, number one, and I told you my number one I'm dying to hear your number one. so far and away my number one. It's it's almost a sickness for me. Okay, my number one, speaking of airplanes, it is, this has been my greatest pet peeve my entire life. I despise when flight attendants sing on their microphone. (laughs) It is like too much power. And they're like, yeah, hey, everybody, have a great flight. And welcome aboard. I've got information that can't be ignored. In your seat back pocket, you'll find a safety card. So please pay attention to this little tune. And don't worry about it. We'll take off soon. So follow along. It's really not that hard. I'm not here, I'm not here to hear you sing. This is not your opportunity you're, to be famous. You're number one pet peeve of all the pet That's peeves it. in the world. That's it. It me singing flight it drives me crazy singing fl- i can't handle it right. i have no patience for it at you all you did not let us down on this one all right what's your i'm excited because this is your like by far this is your by big far and if this makes you or others feel like self-conscious then so oh, be no. it here we go no it shouldn't but uh <sighs> my number one is pet peeve is people who chew loudly <laughs> to the point that I will leave the table. No, really? Ask my wife someday. Interesting. I got, I've been caught by some, and there's something, there was an interesting study I told to our church one day that, uh, that they've, that there was one study that tried to link, uh, IQ, a <gasps> higher IQ with people who can't handle hearing people eat. I, really? da- I doubt that it, that's actually turns out to be a good study, but I can't handle it. And it used to be an annoyance. Now, I cannot handle people who so chew So I have a friend who's deeply sensitive to that, too. And I always kind of made fun of him. But now I'm wondering if it's like you guys have a syndrome He's re- or something. I, it, but it's newish in my life. It's okay. always annoyed me. Okay, but like now it's pe- like gotten worse. Oh, it is like. I'm going to be very careful. It is beyond. And if I see like the person like chews their gum loud or that you're oh. just like. 
Oh, have some manners oh, over there. <laughs> you might just, if I do it, you just got to tell me so I don't offend you. You and I have had a couple meals together. You're good. You're good. Oh, I'm nervous now. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, that one is so far away. My pet peeve. It's not. Well, that's our list. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, Aubrey's are good. Yours are good, but random. Your biggest pet peeve being the singing flight attendant. I can't handle it. I'm uh, no I literally have no patience <laughs> Bedazzled it. men's jeans. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let us know what you think. Facebook, Twitter. Instagram at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, the Gospel Coalition uh, argues this Christians need more intergenerational friendships. We're going to talk about that. We'll see if we agree with their premise next here on the Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're talking about the value of intergenerational friendships, and we're joined by author Ryan Leak to learn how failure can set us up for success. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. Brian, you looking forward to the weekend? Got any I big am, plans? I'm heading out of town this week. Yes, I am heading down to our final baseball tournament is down in Florida. So we are going and having fun. That's awesome. I love Florida. I am going with two of my kids. And uh, yeah, it's going to be really, really fun and really, really high. It's more vacation than like the baseball tournaments to this point have been like baseball. This this is more like we're all going to have fun. All right, Brian. We're going to talk about intergenerational friendships. Mm-hmm. The Gospel Coalition recently published something by Joe Carter that talked about how college students, there was a recent survey of college students, discovered that many college students find that they want, they actually need intergenerational mm-hmm. friendships. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, one of the largest campus ministries on uh, in the United States, surveyed 127 college campuses to assess students' well-being and attitudes amid the COVID-19 pandemic, and several of the key findings showed that students need more intergenerational friendships. I love this. Um, Brian, do you have intergenerational friendships? Yeah, it is funny, though. You, now, we've you and I have hit this age where we go from being the younger in the intergenerational friendship weird? to being the older. Because I can remember yeah. uh, th- this article is really important from Joe Carter here because it talks about, uh, it begins by talking about what they found in these surveys about loneliness due to the pandemic. Mm. And we have to remember that that's happening right now. And then it said 40% of students said that guidance from a more mature Christian in their life, mentor, pastor, chaplain, campus minister, has been one of the most helpful components of cultivating a Christian faith while in college uh, and participating in church. And so uh, what this means is that there is great value in this intergenerational. And then I think we get this wrong in churches a lot, right? Like small groups are everyone's uh-huh. the same age. or the yep. same. I can remember being a high school student. I grew up in the same, you know, we went to the same church my whole life until I went to college where I grew up in New Jersey, this little church and loved it. And there were like two or three men there, my youth pastor, but then other guys would like play church softball together and stuff. Cool. And back then this didn't seem like a big deal, but now that I'm, this is weird to think about. Now I'm kind of their age that they were when I was down there. Yeah. These guys who had families and jobs and stuff, they would take me and like my best friend out to dinner. I love that. They would take us out to breakfast and so like cool. to like build into us and laugh and talk. And then when I came to Wheaton, one of them regularly traveled out this way for business. Every time he traveled on a business trip, he'd call me 
uh, and be like, hey, come meet me. And I'd go out with him and like all of his coworkers. I love that. And you felt really special. Then when I started dating Carrie, yeah. who I eventually married, they started taking both of us out. Like, come on. There was an intentionality. And here's what I loved about it. I at, When that was going on, I never thought to myself, this guy's trying to have an intergenerational disciples, <laughs> discipleship <laughs> right, relationship. Right. Right? It was like, hey, this is really cool. Yeah. A guy in his mid 40s or whatever yeah. it is then uh, is taking an active, like, uh, you know, uh, interest, interest in my life. Uh-huh. Well, that's cool. And he, he's fun yeah. to talk to, fun to laugh with. And, and now now that I'm that guy that age, and it gets a little weird when you're a pastor because everyone thinks there's a little reason behind it. Like, right. oh, you're mentoring me. Right. Well, I don't know if I'm mentoring you or not. Right. Can we just have, go to Panera? You right. Know, and and lunch? just talk and hang out. But there is unbelievable value on both ends, uh, both the older and the younger. Uh, and I think it's very biblical to, you know, when you're younger, don't surround yourself with people who know as little as you do. Right. Right. Like, right. If you're new to marriage and you're only surrounded by by single people or other people who are really new to marriage. Yeah. But what if you have somebody's 20 years in yeah. and, and then vice versa? Yeah. You know, when we get older, we can get a little cynical. We can get a little, um, you know, you can lose kind of like that youthful exuberance. Uh-huh. Then you start hanging out with 20 year olds and you're you like, young. oh, okay, yeah. this is fun. So yeah. that's a long winded way to say that I believe this. I think this is really important. And I think probably our churches, uh, my my own included, need to do a better job at uh, intentionally making these opportunities mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. I, You know, uh, we're part of a small group right now at Renewal that is intergenerational. And it, it wasn't planned that mm-hmm. way necessarily. It was a group that came together um around like anti-racism but it just ended up being intergenerational so we've got grandpas we've got grandmas we've got moms dads we've got single folks younger folks and we were actually together last night and i was looking around the room thinking like this is pretty cool like it's not only a racially diverse group but it is a generationally diverse group and so i find that i'm learning a lot from both the older generations and the younger generations and i do think what you said brian we can tend to look down, I think, well, both ways. We can look down on the younger generation and get kind of cynical, like, oh, you know, these, whatever, these Gen Zers and millennials, they're just uh, blah, 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 self-absorbed yes. or, yes. Blah, 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 you know. Or, But I, I know, even in my own heart, I can look at the older generation and be like, they're just boomers. They don't understand anything, right. you know. And so I think, like, in all things, relationships are the thing that sort of break down those stereotypes mm-hmm. and help us learn. And like you said, it is a biblical model. Yes. We, we're called in Scripture the older to mentor the younger. We see uh, Paul and Timothy, I think, are a great example of a yes. younger and older friendship in the faith. Um, and And... It gets you out of your bubble, right? That's absolutely right. Where you just think everything is, uh, everyone's going through the same things or thinking the same way. And it's just not the case. And uh, I love what Joe Carter, he quotes uh, C.S. Lewis, because every good Christian article quotes C.S. Lewis. Quotes C.S. Lewis, right. Any of your books quote C.S. Lewis? You know, I my the Louder Song quotes C.S. Lewis, yep. I did uh, once in a sermon, I said, I don't know who said this quote, so I'm going to say it was C.S. Lewis. (laughs) Did Uh, everyone laugh? That's a good laugh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, friendship is born at that moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought that no one but myself. So it's not necessarily this age, but it's like you said, you, you've you formed a group around people who want to discuss mm-hmm. and uh, and fight for racial equality. And, and it's, so it's not based at all on age. I think one of the take I, uh, an incorrect takeaway from this would be, OK, now I got to go find an older person or a younger <laughs> right, person. Right. And it's going to be awkward. No, no. 
maybe if you're if you're interested in this and you find someone else who's interested in that and they happen to be 30 years older than you, don't be like, well, I can't be friends with them. They're 30 years older yeah, than me. Yeah. It's probably going to be a great blessing uh, both ways there. And so I do think, and I would I would end it by, by saying this. I would say uh, friendships of common ages and also of intergenerational ages, something that I've learned, especially once you have kids as they get older and your schedules get crazy, friendships take some real intentionality and and uh, That's effort. That's not true. That's yeah. so true. It, it wasn't that way in college, right? In college, you mm-hmm. lived with your friends. Right. And it was great. But <laughs> right. it takes real intentionality. It takes real work. Uh, it takes real sacrifice at times. You got to tell your wife or your husband, hey, I'm going to go out with so-and-so. And that means I need you. You know, there's yeah. something to that. But it's worth it. It really is worth it. And so we'd encourage you to kind of put that work in. Yep. Yep. That's a good word, Brian. Well, stick around. Next up, we're joined by Ryan Leak. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's actually known for two documentaries, one called The Surprise Wedding, another called Chasing Failure. And we're going to talk to him about failure specifically and how failing sets you up for success. So that should be a really interesting. Be sure to come back for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. I'm Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are joined by a very special guest, author, speaker, executive coach, and filmmaker, and a preaching pastor at multiple churches, which we'll have to talk about in a little bit. Mr. Ryan Leak is here. Ryan, thanks for joining us on The Common Good today. I am thrilled to be on The Common Good today. I can't wait to dive into this conversation. We are so glad to have you. We're especially looking forward to talking about your new book, Chasing Failure, How Falling Short Sets You Up for Success. So before we jump in, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, well, my name is Ryan Leak. I am a uh, preaching pastor at at a a couple of different churches, which means I get to teach all around the country. I very much enjoy that. I'm uh, also an author, a podcaster, and also get to do a lot of work in the marketplace, get to do corporate keynotes, and my uh, beautiful family, we reside in the, uh, in the North Dallas Metroplex. There you go. And, nice. uh, and I got two kids. They're oh. six and two. Oh, oh wow, and, you got little uh, ones at home. I got little ones. And they're not so little anymore. That's they keep right. growing. <laughs> That's kind of the thing. They do that, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. do. That is for sure. That is for sure. Again, Ryan, your new book is called Chasing Failure. uh, And and it talks about, it kind of comes out of a YouTube documentary about your journey to conquer your fear of failure by trying out for an NBA team. I I need to hear that story. (laughs) Tell us that story about trying out for an NBA team. So me and my wife got engaged and married on the same day. I planned a surprise wedding for her over the course of two years. And that documentary, The Surprise Wedding, went viral. That led us to going on to a couple of TV shows. We went on the Queen of Tifa show. Nice. My wife surprised me on that show by getting me connected with Kobe Bryant. Oh, come and, on. and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to meet Kobe. What in the world are we going to talk about? And so I'm thinking the only way me and Kobe are going to have like a really engaging conversation is if I'm actually like in the NBA or at least trying to be in the NBA. <laughs> and, That's amazing. And so I just I started training again. I was all American in college. Now, when I say I was all American in college, we need to qualify this. <laughs> I was an all American at a D three ish school. Gotcha. Now, that okay, okay. There's the NCAA, and then there's the NCCAA, which stands for National Christian College Athletic mm-hmm. Association, yes. which simply means 
amongst the Christians in America, I was really good. <laughs> all people need to know today is that I'm I'm YMCA ready at all times. Okay, I, I'm men's league MVP. That's no awesome. question about it. Love it. But I never pursued the pros. I never pursued the NBA. I immediately went into consulting and speaking and preaching and and just never never pursued basketball as a career. And so I thought, you know what? I never tried, but I need to now. And one of my friends got cut from the Chicago Bulls and came back to Dallas. And we we start practicing against one another, and he was just destroying me every single time. And I thought, man, if if this guy who got cut from the Bulls is so much better than me, there's no way they're going to give a guy like me a shot. Mm. And so I just I just decided to give up. And the next day I woke up and I went, why do we do that? Mm. Why, why is it that sometimes God will put something on our heart to take a next step, and we'll, and we'll respond with, your step doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm not good enough for that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here's all the reasons why that's not going to work. And, and I wasn't sure that God wanted me to be in the NBA, but I was sure that he wanted me to try. Wow. And so, so that was when chasing failure was birth. It was like, hey, I'm going to go for this no matter what. And so so that's, how I, uh, that's how I ended up in Phoenix. Uh, that's a very long story short, but, but I, I, uh, I told Kobe about the documentary. He said, go for it. I started emailing NBA teams, and the Phoenix Suns said, come on Monday. Come so on. That's how, the, that's how the Chasing Failure documentary was created. That's awesome. Okay, that is very cool. That was a great story, Ryan. Where can we find the Chasing Failure documentary, by the way? You can go to RyanLeak.com, or you can go to YouTube. Okay. It's, uh, you type in Chasing Failure, you're going to find it. Okay. All right. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan, so obviously you talk about failure, and one of the things you talk about is that sometimes God's plan for our lives actually includes failure. Can you explain that a little bit for our listeners? Well, when we look through Scripture, what you will find is how much God used a bunch of people who failed a lot. Mm. Mm. Um, in fact, there's only one perfect person. Yeah. In the whole book, yeah, his name is Jesus. Everybody else, they're just like you, just like me. In fact, the other main characters in Scripture, the Apostle Paul, Moses, and David, which most scholars would argue that those those are those are key to the Jesus story. Yep. You know what they all have in common? The murderers, mm. murderers. Wow, that, that's what they have in common. Mm. And so, but God God used them anyways. So I think sometimes people we'll see their failures as this, these are the reasons God can't use me. Hmm. But if we're, if we're talking biblically, these are all the reasons he can use you. And I would even say wants to, to use you because there are so many people who have made mistakes and they don't need perfect preachers. They don't need perfect yeah. Christians walking around. Yeah. They need ones that are humble enough to go, guess what? We need God. And I think you do too. Absolutely. Mm, so good. And, and what you're saying there, Ryan, makes total sense about failure and it being kind of an open door to growth and learning. What do you think stops most of us from believing that, though? What stops us from going after it, even if it means we're going to fail? Shame. Mm. Embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thought that people won't think I'm as amazing as I post. Wow. <laughs> that people, people will actually know the real me. Mm. That people will actually see my flaws and I won't. And, and I think the, the biggest thing that people struggle with with failure is going, they've connected uh, their failure or their success to connection with community. Mm. Failure means disconnection and rejection. 
success means I'll be admired, loved, yeah. and, and and accepted by by a group of people that I want to to be loved by and admired by. Mm-hmm. And so those are two driving factors that that I think hurt a lot of people because they're going they're definitely afraid of people finding out that yes they've they've made mistakes. I mean let's let's just let's just talk about just this show for example. Look, people will hear who made it on the show. Yeah. But they won't hear the people that said, nah, we got enough mm. or turned it down. Mm. Or people that you've reached out to that said, well, I'm not sure. And they just told you no. Yeah. They, they just know your yeses. Yeah. And so part of it is that successful people don't share their downfall. Mm. And so they make success look more successful than it actually is. Mm-hmm. But what I found about all successful people is the one thing that they have in common is failure. Hmm. That is and, and so I, I think the, the sooner we can embrace it, own it, realize it, and learn from it, the sooner we can move on with our lives. Yeah, that's good. What do you think, Ryan, are some of the things that we learned from failure? Um, and maybe what are the things we learned from being willing to share our failures instead of just our successes? Um, well, to answer your first question, what's one of the things that we can learn from failure? Uh, one of the big ones is what you're not supposed to do. Mm. Sometimes I know so many people, I'm searching for my purpose. Uh, I'm searching for what God put me on the planet to do. Yeah. Sometimes you figure that out by process of elimination. Mm. You get, you, it, sometimes it's easier to cross something off the list than yeah. to put something on it. Because sometimes you wonder, would I be good at that? What? And there's some people that go, man, could I, could I be a preacher? And they get up and do it, and they go, that ain't for me. Hmm. But, but they might be excellent. They, they might be excellent at hospital visits. They might be excellent with empathy and sitting with people. And those two skill sets don't often come together. That's right. To be able to do something for a crowd versus to be able to do something for one family. Hmm. And so I think that sometimes when you fail, that's not always a bad thing. I think it can reveal sometimes what you're not supposed to do. It also can reveal what you need to improve on. Yeah, that's so true. Sometimes you flop. Sometimes you make a mistake. Sometimes you have a setback. And that's, that's, that's a sign for you to go, you know what, it's time for me to actually get better at what I was doing. I, I didn't prepare enough. Mm. And so you know what? I, I have to be able to learn from this failure. I like to say you're only failing if you fail to learn from your failures. Ooh, that's, that's good. But if, but if you learn from every failure, you're winning. Mm. The thing that breaks my heart the most is the people that continue to fail over and over and over again for the same reason. Mm. That's called insanity. Mm. Yeah, there's people that will date the same person over and over again, right. expecting a different result. Right. I'm going no. Just because you had a failed relationship, that's not bad as long as you took great notes so that you know mm. what to avoid the next time. Mm. So good. Such a good word from Ryan Leak. Again, he's the author of Chasing Failure, How Falling Short Sets You Up for Success. One of the things that I know you talk about is how we can reframe our outlooks on failure and use that to become closer to God. Can you describe that for us, how we can do that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for so many people, they have seen failure as the villain to their success. Mm-hmm. They have seen it as this this enemy. I, I like to see failure as as a friend. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there are times where, whenever things are going so well, there is something in us that begins to go, 
I'm not really sure that I need God. Mm. Most people pray when it's an emergency. Mm. Like if, if, if we're looking at heaven as a call center, when does, when, when is God called upon? Typically during emergencies. That's right. People, people that don't even have a relationship with God all of a sudden call on him when they, when they need him. And so there is this great verse in Proverbs that says, give me neither riches nor poverty. And, and at one point, the writer says, for if I get too much wealth, I might say, I don't need God. Mm. And I think it's just vitally important that a person uh, really sees failure as, as an opportunity to, to get better, to learn from it. And in that moment, it is an opportunity to lean in to their God. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote a book called Chasing Failure. I did not write a book called Chasing Foolishness. Right? <laughs> I'm not telling <laughs> someone good, to go out and do something foolish on purpose. What I'm saying is, is we don't have to be afraid of this. I'm saying we should be people that wake up and are willing to try things, that we're willing to... At some point, you know what? Balls get dropped. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen. People make mistakes. We are dealing with humans. That's all we got. Yeah. That's all right. we have That's right. is a bunch of human people walking around that are extremely flawed. And we spend a great deal of energy trying to cover up those flaws. I personally think that we should reveal some of those flaws. Mm. That we should be way more vulnerable and going, you know what? Hey, guess what? As a person that speaks to thousands of people every single month, there is this thing of going, um, I, I don't need prayer. Yeah. What do you mean I don't need prayer? Yeah. Are you crazy? I need prayer. Mm. It, there, is this, there is this stigma that comes with the stage that is supposed to be, I have it all together. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I love saying that from the stage because people are kind of like, look, and they're like, you don't? And I'm just looking back at the audience and I'm going, you do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Show yeah. me this perfect person. I'd love to meet them. Yeah. Give them the mic. Yeah. But you're just not going to find them. And so I, I think the more we're able to um, wisely be vulnerable with others, if I, I love doing, um, whenever I'm sitting with someone that's kind of an up-and-coming coach or speaker, I love sharing my failure story. Mm. The... the, the the success stories, the speaking to thousands, of, nah, I, I love sharing when I tanked and when I learned from that because I just know so many people that are afraid to fail and so their fear of failure paralyzes them and they end up doing nothing. Yeah, that's good. So, Ryan, I'm guessing there's people out there right now, myself included, hearing this going, man, that's inspiring. I want to live that out, but it's scary or I don't know what to do. And I know in your book you talk about just some practical tips that someone can do really starting now to kind of reframe their outlook on failure and become closer to God. What, what are some tips that somebody could start right now to start growing in this? I think they should, should number one, they should begin engaging in activities that intimidate them. Mm. Engage in activities that intimidate them. And, and for some of our audience today, that might be technology as, 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 small as that sounds, I can't tell you how many people are intimidated by smartphones mm. or apps or, or email marketing yeah. or websites or 
learning something new because it, it feels intimidating. I, I would encourage a person. That, that's what I call low-hanging fruit for failure. Go do it in private. Nobody even knows. Like, go engage in something that intimidates you and get some failures under your belt. And I know that sounds crazy, <laughs> but when you get some little failures under your belt, they're practice ground for the big one. Mm. So, so that when, when something does tank, when something does go wrong, you're just not rattled. Yeah. You've been there before. Yeah. You, you have experience. And, and I, I tell people that in corporate America all the time, when I'm encouraging people to take risks and they're going, but I have so much to lose. I'm like, but you have so much to gain because mm. grad school can only teach you so much. Yeah. But what, what do we all want? We want somebody with experience. That's so true. And so how do you get that? Sometimes you get that by taking risks and you know, if, if it's, if you're a heart surgeon, I don't want you chasing. Heart, okay? <laughs> I want you, I want you to know what you're doing. That's right. There's, you know, but if you're a blogger, if you're a podcaster, yeah, go for it. Mm. Mm, so good. Ryan, um, tell us besides the NBA audition, audition tryout, what's one of your favorite failure stories you like to tell people? Um, this one happened like three weeks ago. <laughs> I was, Oh, I, I love sharing fresh ones because the old ones are old. Yeah. Right, right, right. Are my favorite. Uh, so you would have thought by now, you know, what we would have learned from a pandemic that we all know how to zoom and set up mics and, and do all of that. If, if you're doing, you know what we do. Um, I was speaking for one of the largest financial institutions in America. Okay. Just a few weeks ago. And I started, I had an hour long keynote and my mic went out within the first five minutes. No, I spoke basically on mute for Come 55 on. minutes. No, no, no. Yes, I did. Unbelievable. <laughs> yes. And they were in the chat, but I couldn't see it because I had it, I had it on full screen for my slides. Oh, and no. They were like, you were animated. It looked, we read <laughs> it your looked stuff. like it, it was looked real good. good. It looked like it was, and I was just so oh, no. embarrassed. But wow. you, you want to know what I learned from that? Yeah, you know, what you learned that from that failure? Humility. Mm. And again, every failure has a lesson in it if you're paying attention. And so I just, I learned humility. I had to own it. That's, that's on me. It's on no one else. Mm. It's, it's just on me. Mm. And, and some people would think, man, Ryan, at, at the level that at which I do things, and the people that invite me to speak, whatever, yeah. that bad things don't happen to me. Mm. And it's like, no, I, I, I make mistakes just like anybody else. And it, and it happens. And what a great way to learn humility. I wish I would have learned humility another way that day. But yes. <laughs> right, ultimately, right. you know, it, it, it happens. And, you know, you, you humble yourself, you apologize, mm. and, you know, you, you offer the moon as, a, as you know, to, to, right. for next time. If yep. there ever is a next time. That's but right. I, 
Probably what? won't happen again. Such a good <laughs> story, Ryan. Oh. I've got like three mics now. You know, one hanging exactly, out of the ceiling, exactly. one coming out of the ground. One, you know. So funny. That's yeah. good. Oh, so good. Well, Ryan, we have so appreciated having you here and encouraging yeah. our listeners. You can learn more about Ryan at his website, ryanleak.com. That's R-Y-A-N-L-E-A-K.com. You can connect with him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ryan Leak. Ryan, thanks so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday evening. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are excited to send you off to the weekend. To the weekend. Hopefully, you've got some great plans tonight. And we wanted to talk about kind of an interesting topic. Brian and I uh, know a lot about orthodoxy and Mm -hmm. orthoproxy as pastors. But one of the things we've been talking about recently is something called orthopathy. So, okay, Brian, I'm going to quiz you. I'm ready. What is orthodoxy? That is right belief. It is is like kind of know. It's knowledge, right? It's it's knowing the right things. Okay. And what is orthopraxy? That is right practice. Yeah, there you go. So it is putting what you know and believe into practice. And oftentimes in... In, you know, scholarly stuff, there'll be like this, those will be at war with each other, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, someone will be all about orthodoxy. But the, uh, the sweet spot is to be living both of these yes. out, to be living out orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And they're cool words. And they're cool words. They make you sound <laughs> smart. Okay, here's the new one, Brian, that okay. we don't hear much about, orthopathy. Tell us how, how would you define orthopathy? Happy. Well, help me out with this one. I think I'm right. That feels like right attitude. Hey, feels like look right. at you. I know we read the article, but I think it's yep. uh, that more is emotions. Right. It's, attitude, emotions, uh, feelings, etc. Godly attitudes, emotions, and feelings. There is an article that Brian just referenced um, over at pathios.com where an uh, author named Kay Mulhern is talking about evangelism and um, really... The neglect, or not evangelism, evangelic Evangelicalism. I can never say that word. I should have let you go. <laughs> evangelicalism <laughs> and the neglect of the heart. She's arguing that we have we have done really well with orthodoxy. We've done really well with right knowledge. We've done really well with orthopraxy. We've done really well with godly behavior. But have we forgotten godly emotions, uh, godly attitudes, this, what she calls orthopathy? What do you think about that, Brian? You're a pastor. In church, do you... Do you focus uh, heavily on one of these over the other? Oh, I probably... And I guess second question before I before you answer that. Uh, why do you think orthopathy matters for the Christian? Oh, okay. I'll take that one first okay. uh, in evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. I, I would say orthopathy is important because, you know, the other two, it's like, okay, I can attain knowledge. I have to do this. It's a lot to do, but you can ignore your soul and your heart. And, and we've talked so much on this show about, you know, um, depression and mental illness, even mm-hmm. within the church and, and not dealing with like what's going on in your soul. It doesn't mean what orthopathy isn't saying, like, you know, I only pray if I feel like it. I only go to church if I feel like that. That's not what it is. But it's to have it's to have honest conversations and, and looking in the mirror at like, how is my soul doing? And what have my past hurts? How is that, you know, affecting me now? And, and ask, right. you know. And I think we skip over this because these are the more difficult conversations yeah, to are, have. Right. When we look in the mirror and go, how am I really doing? Mm-hmm. That, I don't think a lot of us really like doing yeah. that. And, and that's where it becomes difficult. To answer your first question, uh, 
if you, especially orthodoxy and orthopraxy, uh, doctrine and practice, I tend to, um, as a preacher and 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 a uh, yeah, I, I tend to lean towards practice. I tend to lean towards here's what you do with this. That's I'm good. very um, that's good. Uh, I'm very um, as a preacher, uh, I tend to be very here's what you do with this. Mm. Now go and do this, as that's opposed good. to let me explain this text and let me. Yeah, and it's good and bad. I think. You know, there, there's value to going, okay, here's how you apply this to your life. Here's here's mm-hmm. where the rubber meets the road. Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I can fall short and, and, and shortchange the, let me explain this to you. Let me give you yeah. what's going on here. Let me make sure we understand this. Yeah. And so the best preachers out there are able to balance those two. I, I can tend to be, um, I can tend to shortchange orthodoxy and uh, over- uh, over orthopraxy. And so I don't probably for our third word here, orthopathy, uh, I do talk from the pulpit a good about, about, you know, what's going on in your soul yeah. and this and that. But yeah. I would say I'm, I'm most with orthopraxy. You How know, about yourself as a speaker? That's interesting. I took, a, I took one preaching class. I'm not an expert, but one of the things that my professor said that was that most preachers have trouble with orthopraxy or application. So mm. well done, sir. Yeah, I, I do think yes. there's a trade-off to yeah, it. Yeah, there's for a sure. trade-off to it. You know, it's interesting reading this. I think I actually lean heavily on orthopathy. I talk a lot from the pulpit about emotions and where God is in our emotions, whether that's healthy emotions, unhealthy emotions, whether that's sadness, anger, bitterness, uh, you name it. But that tends to be my sweet spot in my personality anyway. I would say then next would probably be orthodoxy, like Mm -hmm. right belief. Um, And where I, where my weakest is orthopraxy. And I would say that's probably the weakest in my own life. Like I'm like, I Lord, help me to do for you and not be like the demons in James right. who believe but don't actually have faith with their works. I you would know? say uh, what's also interesting is when I think about the people that I listen to, like say uh, the podcasts I listen mm-hmm. to of other preachers, uh, I think we probably listen to the people that are stronger in the things we're weakest in. That's going to be my premise here. Interesting. I tend to I tend to listen to the Tim Kellers of the world. Okay, and yeah. The who balance it well, but yeah. if you if you think about Tim Keller, what are you going to say? Oh, Orthodoxy. Oh my gosh, that guy can explain the text a- and he can yes. you know or or these and so yes. I, it is probably an interesting thing where where we feel the weakest maybe we run to. And yeah, so, yeah. Um yeah, that that is interesting. So Okay, so uh, speaking not to the pastors, but to like the people sitting in the pulpit, or just people living their Christian life. How do we? How do you balance, Brian, in life? Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthopathy. Like, what kind of word of encouragement would you say to them? Yeah, they are not against one another. There you go. And so I think to be a well-rounded, not just a speaker, but to a well-rounded Christian. Uh, we need all three, and so often we speak of them in uh, against one another. Like, I'm either going to be Mr. Orthodoxy, I'm going to get Bible knowledge, and I'm going to understand it, and I'm going to, or I'm just going to go be practice, you know, I'm going to make, put it into practice. I think we need to, uh, the healthy Christian and the and the, the fully formed Christian says, nope, I need all three of these, and I need to keep an eye on all three of these. And then I think we're set up for success and for growth. And so my word of caution and my word of encouragement would be these are, these don't go against each other. Mm, these kind of hold hands with one yeah, another. Yeah, that's good. Well, we hope that encourages you on this Friday afternoon headed to your weekend. You can ask yourself maybe where am I leaning towards? Mm-hmm. Is it 
is it knowledge or is it practice or is it emotions? And maybe ask the Lord God, what's your invitation for me in this? Mm-hmm. Where can I grow in wholeness in all of these areas? Because um, I think that's a good word for all of us Christians. Well, next week, Brian, you're going to be in Florida. Gone. Yes. I'm going to be in grad school. So we I win on that one. You definitely win. <laughs> There's no doubt you win on that. I do love grad school, but I love Florida. I so I'm a little bit Florida. jealous of that. So we are going to miss you, but we're still going to have some great content for you every day, Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. So be sure to join us. We're going to feature some of our best of shows, probably some of our best top 10 lists. I mean, lists. the best stuff we've got. Yeah, some of our best guests. Top you five are, list. Did I say top 10 list? Yeah, I think together, subconsciously. Yeah, I together. guess that's true. Subconsciously, I want us to have a top 10. Top okay. five list, our best guests. It's going to be an awesome week that's for right. you next that's week. Right. So be sure to join us. From Monday through Friday, next week, from 4 to 6 p.m., right here on The Common Good. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.